0: After the Israeli elections last week, I was really unhappy. I had a hard time understanding how so many people from the community with which I identify could have voted for a party that I find truly objectionable. Well, today I had the opportunity to do something about it. I sat around a table with two friends on opposite sides of the political divide, and we talked about it. I'm Scott Kahn, and this is The Orthodox Conundrum. This is the Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. I'm Scott Kahn. The Religious Zionist Party in Israel, headed by Batalo Smotrich, has been vilified as mainstreaming racist, misogynist, and homophobic attitudes. I know this because I'm one of the people who's been doing the vilifying. Yet last week, that party, or more appropriately, the three parties that ran together under the Religious Zionist banner, won 14 seats in the Knesset. That means that the Religious Zionist Party represents, percentage-wise, over 11% of the Knesset, and prorated for Israel's population, that technically represents over a million people. While those numbers have not changed my mind about the Religious Zionist Party, I also do not and will not believe that all or most of the voters who voted for that party fully support some of its more objectionable ideas. If so many people whom I respect and consider members of my community— voted for a party that I find very problematic, the correct response, I think, is not to cancel them, but to listen to them. And I hope they'll listen to me as well. That doesn't mean that ideas that are outside the pale should be mainstreamed. This isn't about compromise where it offends my sense of what's right. But I don't think that canceling half a million voters who are broadly part of my religious world is an effective response either. The best way to ensure that objectionable ideas stay outside is to talk about it with people who are amenable to listening rather than declaring that all of them did something morally out of bounds. To that end, I sat down with Rabbi David Fine, who ran for the Knesset as a member of the Religious Zionist Party, and Daniel Goldman, a former chair of Gesher and World by the Akiva, who has written articles about why he strongly disagrees with the direction of the Religious Zionist Party. We got together at 8 o'clock this morning, sat around a table, each of us had a cup of coffee, And we talked honestly and forthrightly about our areas of agreement and disagreement and while i'm sure that none of us was converted to the other side we also left i hope with some understanding of why each of us feels passionately about our respective sides of the political divide before we begin that conversation let me remind you to share this podcast Rate the Orthodox Conundrum and write a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think on the Orthodox Conundrum Discussion Group on Facebook. Check out JewishCoffeehouse.com for the Orthodox Conundrum and other great podcasts, and remember to subscribe to them on your favorite podcast provider. Thanks to all of our Patreon subscribers who have access to bonus Jewish Coffeehouse podcasts, merch, and more. You should join our Patreon team too. The link is in the description of this podcast. Finally, Everyone knows that podcasting is taking off and getting bigger all the time. If you're on Twitter, you might have heard a lot of well-known influencers talking this week about moving to a new platform. Chances are that platform will be podcasting if they're not there already. If you have opinions that you want to share with a large group of people or a growing business that is looking for a new marketing tool or an organization that's looking to reach hundreds and thousands of captivated listeners, you should have a podcast too. Contact me at scott at com. That's scott at com, or go to jchpodcasts.com to learn how we can help you make a high quality, effective, and entertaining podcast. Daniel Goldman is founding partner of Gold Rock Capital and founder of the Institute for Jewish and Zionist Research. He is a businessman and social activist. He currently co-chairs the Coalition for Haredi Employment and is a former chair of Gesher and World Bedei Akiva. Rabbi David Fine is the co-founder of the Barkai Center for Practical Rabbinics and Community Development. Before founding Barcai, Rabbi Fine served as the Jewish Identity Coordinator at the Modi'in Community Center and the Director of Rabbinic Outreach at the Eretz Chemda Institute for Advanced Judaic Studies in Jerusalem. He ran in the Knesset elections last week as a member of the Religious Zionist Party. Rabbi David Fine and Daniel Goldman, thank you very much for joining me today on the Orthodox Conundrum Podcast. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. By way of introduction, I want to provide a memory of you, David, from when we were together at Brandeis. And there's a reason why I'm saying this particular memory. Wow, that was a long time ago. It was a long time ago, yes. There was somebody, I think it was probably your last Friday night at a Hillel Oneg. And you were saying goodbye to the various staff members, if I recall correctly. And there was one particular staff member who was a rabbi, who was not an Orthodox rabbi. Rabbi Axelrad. Rabbi Axelrad, exactly. Now, Rabbi Al Axelrad was controversial. He also was a very, very nice guy. He He did a lot of good things, too. And I remember not the exact things that you said about him, but you essentially gave him a tribute. And you said something like this towards the end of your speech. You said, Rabbi Al does things which I disagree with. In fact, I think some of the things he does are pretty terrible. But at the same time, in some ways, he's my Rebbe. I said basically in those exact words.
1: Yes. You have a good memory.
0: Well, it that made him like... It made an impression on right. me because... I think that's a good introduction for today because it told me something about you as a person. Here's somebody with whom you strongly disagreed. And at the same time, despite the fact that he did things you thought were pretty bad, he also did things that you thought were pretty good And you were able to compartmentalize and say, you know what, this is something with which I disagree, and this is something where I can really learn from him. And I think that that tells me something about the way that you interact with people, to say, just because I associate with somebody doesn't
1: mean I agree with them completely. Is that a fair statement to say now? Yes, absolutely. I think Rabbi Al was... I don't even know if he's still alive, but he was a great man, and he taught me a lot of things. And yes, I did disagree but with him about very important things. But um, yes, I would think that's a very good uh, description. That's the way at least I try to live my life. I don't always live up to it, but I try. Okay,
0: and uh, I'm not trying to ignore you, Daniel. I'm sure that you also have plenty of wonderful statements that I could say as well. It does set a tone for what we're trying to do today, which is a respectful dialogue, because... Full disclosure, as you know, David, I am not coming from a perspective which is the same as yours, I think. When it comes to, for example, religious Zionism as expressed by the Religious Zionist Party, of which you're a part, I did not vote for them, and I don't like a lot of what they stand for. At the same time, I realize, and I'm sure Daniel realizes the same thing, and I think he and I are on the same page when it comes to this particular issue— There are a half million Israelis who just voted for a party, and I'm not going to say that all of them believe things which I think are pretty bad in certain ways. And I want to understand better what is really going on. The reason we're doing this conversation, the reason we're having this conversation after the election is so that it wouldn't turn into a political discussion about who you should vote for. It's over. That's not happening now. It already happened. The question is, how can we better understand each other to understand the concerns that people have about what that particular party and that movement, so to speak, stands for, and why people who have that concern perhaps can have their concerns allayed by someone like you, David.
1: Okay. I, first of all, I certainly um, I certainly understand what some of the concerns are. I'm not naive, uh, but as you said... Uh, Half a million people just voted for this party, and um, as you also just said, uh, we hope that you know people wouldn't accuse half a million Israelis of being racist. I mean, uh, or misogynist, or homophobic, or uh, whatever whatever other words may be used. Uh, there are people who have uh, you know said that to me. And I said, if, if you think that, then I don't think there's really anything to continue the discussion. Meaning you, you want to think that? Fine. I, I think otherwise. But if you want to have a, con- a, a conversation about it, then fine. But if, if that's where your starting point is, then I think that, that you know, there's nothing really to talk about. Okay. So
0: in the process of facilitating respectful dialogue, right. I, I want to start off talking about cancel culture which is really by way of prelude, I keep on giving preludes to preludes, but I think in order for us to really talk about what is within the pale and what is beyond the pale, we have to talk about the idea of cancel culture and perhaps how it's infected or become part of religious Zionist discourse, and I say religious Zionist broadly in terms of what we all believe, the world to which we all belong. So, David, maybe you can start off by telling me a little bit about how you see that as a problem or perhaps some solutions to
1: it. I'm doing all the talking here, but I I should just say by introduction that I should have said this before that it really... It's my honor to be here with Daniel. I know he disagrees with me uh, very vociferously. I've read some of the things he's read, but uh, he's written. But um, I think he's, you know, he's certainly a person, a model of uh, respectful dialogue as well. So it's my pleasure. I'm to be... grateful to him. Thank you. Um, in terms of cancel culture, as I mean, there's a lot to talk about. In fact, this up uh, here... Uh, journal, um, just came out with a whole journal about, uh, if you're familiar with, uh, about cancel culture. But, uh, so obviously there's a lot to talk about, but as it affects this uh, election and my specific, my particular experience with it, I think that, you know, many people said, well, there are certain things that, you know, are, we're able to talk about and disagree about, even though we disagree about it vociferously, we're willing to talk about it. But there are certain things that are just beyond the pale, right? And voting for the Religious Zionist Party, or, or, you know, supporting the Religious Zionist Party, or running on the ticket of the Religious Zionist Party, that's just beyond the pale. And once you get beyond the pale, then, you know, that's it, we're not willing to even have the discussion. And that's where that's a specific experience that, that I felt this this whole election series.
2: That's a great place to start from and uh, I would absolutely uh, concur with uh, David on that particular point. and I don't think there's any discussion that, that is relevant or sensible that says anybody who happens to be associated with people who are problematic or have difficult views or themselves to be in some way uh, cancelled and I would certainly sign up to that. Um, I think in the wider uh, religious Zionist community we have a problem with canceling. And uh, I think actually it doesn't start at the bottom. it often starts at the top. And uh, maybe the, the most dramatic uh, example of that over the last couple of years, which has nothing to do with the party politics, or it doesn't seem to, is what has happened to uh, Rabbi Melamed. Due to his decisions with respect to meeting with the reform leaders and reform rabbis, and also uh, there are certain nuances in his uh, piskeh al and etc., there was a concerted, collective, uh, from-the-top-down attempt to cancel. So um, I think I would agree with David absolutely on the point that cancelling is no way to create debate, but it's with us and it's it's fairly aggressive. Right. It's infected the whole world, not just
1: the Jewish community, not just the religious community, but we see it in America and in Europe, all over the
2: place. Okay. We, we, we could probably do a podcast on right. that alone.
1: Maybe we will, in fact. yeah. Let's get
0: into our main topic today. Daniel... I now I'm going to turn to you because, and I didn't mean to keep you silent for too long. <laughs> so good. Why don't you express some of the things that you find problematic with the positions of religious Zionism? Sure. Again, religious Zionism as a movement the part now, deflected. as opposed to the concept that we've all been part of.
2: Yeah. So so maybe one sentence that just says, I think in terms of reference, um, and here I have to raise my hat to Motrich uh, Smotrich for, for this move. What he has effectively done is shifted the debate around religious Zionism by effectively branding himself as religious Zionism. Um, and if you remember, I can't remember which of the previous elections it was, it may have been, can I say, 20 or 22, or who knows, but Chagit Moshe, who at the time was the Baitu din in Jerusalem, had said, oh, yeah, uh, we now have a, a, a kind of political arrangement, which is from Merkaz to, uh, to Har And it may have been a... Uh, a kind of mistake that she she didn't mean to say, but I think in, in in why don't
0: you explain what that means in
2: in 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 reflection and looking back, what uh, uh, Batala has created very much is that, and and to be clear, what that means is that uh, Makazar and and, and Yeshivat are two are very important uh, yeshivot in the world of religious Zionism, but. Um, I don't think it would be controversial to say that from Merkaz-Arav and down to uh, Haramor, th- this represents uh, what mm-hmm. most would consider to be the conservative end or even the conservative radical end of uh, religious Zionism. But Salas Mojish himself personally, his father, is an important and prominent uh, part of the Merkaz-Arav um, uh, group. And uh, of course, and uh, he studied him, right? uh, and of course he right. he, he, seems so, he sees himself very much as a uh, as a classic pupil of Merkaz Rav. Um, and um, if you look along the list of the important spiritual leaders of of those who are leading the list of religious Zionism, I mean, it's a pretty good uh, it's a pretty good way of reflecting on that sociologically, and I think in terms of the opinions on a wide range of issues, that that sort of spectrum of Merkaz Rav to Harim classically represents around 15-16% of religious Zionism. But in reality... 15-16%. Yeah, approximately. If you ask any of the researchers, typically what they say is, and maybe it's worth actually sort of getting into this a little bit before we delve into the politics, what has typically been the case is that the the main body of religious Zionism is kind of a various level of uh, socioeconomic, higher, middle class, etc., who kind of uh, reflect uh, um, a general sense of religious Zionism. And then on one side, you have what you would call the liberal religious Zionist, which is also around about 15%. And then on the other hand, you have the conservative religious Zionists, who are sometimes called Torani, sometimes called Khardali, um, each one according to their own uh, description. And there is a a kind of fight for the soul of the 70% in the middle about uh, a, a whole range of issues, which definitely we, we could talk about today. Um, and what I think Smotrich has done quite brilliantly is to rebrand himself and take in that 16% and say, I now basically lead, uh, um, at least not including those uh, uh, the liberal edge at the other end of 15%. Um, so I think that's the starting place where it, it is worthwhile uh, to think about. And, and absolutely, as a sort of pure marketing and, and a sort of strategic political move, that was brilliant. Underneath that, though, I think you have to start dissecting what Smotrich and Benkvir and Avima Oz, the three leaders of the three different factions within that party. Remember, the Religious Zionist Party is in reality an amalgamation of three existing uh, political entities. And None of which,
0: by the way, are the original Religious Zionist Party that's been part of Israel for 70 years.
2: That, that's another podcast as to how that has degraded over <laughs> a, about a 20-year... We have a lot uh, of podcasts today. Uh, about a 20-year <laughs> period. Maybe a you seri- guys just want to come on the show again. <laughs> series, a series coming. Um, and, in, and in fact, this election is probably the final, final, final nail uh, of something which has already happened. Speaking specifically about the positions which I think are worth relating to here today, I don't think it's unreasonable to have a debate within religious Zionism or, or inside Israeli society about religion and state and a, a whole range of other issues which I think we can reasonably disagree about. Um, apropos cancel culture, I have been called an Ochei Israel, somebody who is undermining Judaism by having a different opinion, but let's put that uh, uh, aside. But I think you can have a reasonable debate about that. I think the, the problematic aspects of that, and, and unfortunately I think you have to take... Smotrich and Ben-Gvir and the ideologies that represent almost as a package here, because I think increasingly there is a there is a, a sort of blurred line between them. But as examples, um, when uh Haver Knesset Smotrich says that he backs up the demand to have segregated maternity wards, I think underneath that reflects something which is deeply problematic from a religious point of view. Okay, and, and my claim is that the fight for religious Zionism is not about democratic values; it's about Jewish values. And I, I have a problem with that. And I think that is that is something which I cannot uh, live with. I think when uh, uh, Ben-Gvir is suggesting that, that the government needs to make loyalty tests for all Arabs in order to be citizens of the state of Israel, otherwise they may be under the risk of deportation or the denial of rights, I have a Jewish problem with that as a majority in a uh, Jewish country. And we, we could go on and we could move into uh, uh, you know, a slew of uh, uh, proposals which are coming, and we can talk about Avi Maoz and the things that the first conversation he had with the prime minister after the election was immediately about uh, denying rights to the LGBT uh, community. And, and there's been a huge amount of debate afterwards, whether it's just a kind of a troll to, uh, for us, still we don't see what's actually going to happen. But I think these are the issues that are worth uh, discussing. And, and there's nothing hidden about that.
0: Right. Okay. So, David, let's move on to you. Right. I am very wary of putting you on the defensive. I know that's not a position you want to be in, and I understand that. At the same time, what Daniel said, these are problems that I am also disturbed by. And I'd like to hear how you understand what religious Zionism represents, perhaps in contrast to what Daniel
1: says, or perhaps you explain that they didn't mean what they said. Well, I'll just head to you let you talk. Okay. So there's a lot to uh, respond to there. I would just start by saying something um, in the background, and that is is that I felt throughout this election cycle that um, just because you vote for or run for a specific party, that that means that you necessarily agree with everything that the party head uh, stands for or, or has ever said. And I don't start out with that premise, meaning just as you said before at the beginning, right? I was a Orthodox rabbi for 10 years in the United States. Very often I was asked to be on a panel with non-Orthodox rabbis. Many or most Orthodox rabbis in America will still not sit on panels uh, with non-Orthodox rabbis. And I did for whatever reasons. Uh, I think there are some very good reasons to do that. Um, but I think that the so the assumption is is that there's some kind of legitimization going on, and that's what the fear is, right? I start with the premise that just because you you know you you go with somebody doesn't necessarily mean that you agree with everyone. So I'm not here to defend Buczala Smotrich. I'm not here to defend Avi Ma'oz. I'm not here to defend ben Vier. I think they're human beings, right? And I think they bring a lot of good to the table. I think when the equation is made, in my mind, I think the good outweighs the bad. But I'm not here to defend There People make mistakes and people say things that are wrong. People say things that I don't agree with. I'm not here to say that, to, to defend them or that I agree with every single thing that they say. But at the end of the day, I think that um, each one of these is a much more nuanced conversation. Um, and I think that at the end of the day, for me, the the good outweighs the bad.
2: I'd like to um, uh, separate between the people who voted right. and those who uh, legitimized. Okay. Um, because I, I agree with you that n- I am 100% sure that many of the people who voted for the uh, religious Zionist list themselves don't hold either racist or xenophobic or even... Uh, uh, you know, homophobic or, or, or other difficult opinions. Um, and we should probably dedicate a couple of minutes for, our, uh, for, for your listeners, Scott, to try and understand in which case, why do people vote the way that they vote? And I think that that's an important exercise that we should go through. But I think what's clear is that um, before, and let, let's, let's focus for a second on Ben Kvir and Otzma Yudit and, and his background and ideology. Uh, before the latest round of five elections, Okay. I think it was pretty clear to every leader and, and almost every uh, a rabbi within the religious Zionist community that we don't do business with uh, people who are the followers of Kahana. Okay? And all that has now changed. That has completely gone out of the window. And if we want to, we can even bring quotes of people who said at the time when it was happening, that this idea of a, uh, a technical block or a kind of tactical move together is a red line that sh- should not be crossed. And I'm talking about the former Moskira of uh, B'nai Kiva in Israel. I'm talking about Moshe Lichtenstein there, Rosh Hashiva in Haritsion and others who said very clearly at the time that by bringing this in, and, and again, we, we don't want to do all of the political analysis as to why that happened and why Netanyahu pushed so hard uh, for that to be the case. What is clear is that once you push that in, it is extremely difficult to take out. That is not the uh, bl- should not be blamed on the voters of smartage, but it should be blamed on the leadership who made that happen. So the legitimization happened before people voted for it, and that's a separate discussion as to why people do that. But we absolutely can look at the people who've led and and taken part in this exercise and say you have brought this right into our living room. Before
0: we go on, I just want to make sure. I don't know, there are listeners who may or may not know who Ben Gvere actually is. They've heard the name <laughs> probably. Could you just say why he's so objectionable in your mind?
2: Yes. Uh, uh, Itamar Ben is one of the younger... Uh, uh, former uh, pupils of Rabbi Merkahana. Merkahana was an extremely well known and prominent uh, activist and politician in Israel in the late 70s and 1980s. Um, famously, uh, Miki Eitan, who was a uh, member of Knesset for the Likud Party in the mid 1980s, when Merkahana himself was a uh, uh, member of Knesset, he compared the uh, uh, legislation proposals that Merkahana brought and he compared them one for one with the Nuremberg. Laws. And um, for those who don't remember, and I suspect many of the people who voted in this election have no idea who Mayor Kahana actually is and what he represented. And before we debate on whether Bank is a genuine follower of that, uh, but uh, uh, Everybody walked out of the uh, Knesset when Meir Karhanna spoke. By the way, I found out this morning that two people didn't. One was the son of Rav uh, Ovadio Yosef, uh, the one that passed away, um, Yaakov Yosef, and Rav Chaim Drukman, who was a Knesset at the time. And we could draw parallels as to he was also one of the guys who's given the, uh, kind of the, the kosher stamp of this very much. I, I think Druckton. he's at the center of the legitimization of this at this point. And yes, we can hold him absolutely responsible for that. When we were talking about cancel culture, and I think this is an important point, I think that the,
1: I don't know... The world out there, or the more liberal world uh, in the religious Zionist party, and, and even more liberal than that, has sort of gotten to decide what's considered morality and what's not considered morality, right? And I would say, um, when I said before that, you know, for me, I see this as better than the other option, I think that we have to take a look at what the former government did, right? The former government, although uh, Bennett said that he w- w- promised his voters that he did not uh, would not do this— he at the end of the day sat with people in the Israeli government who are basically do not support you know the the state of Israel as a Jewish and democratic state for and and they represent a lot of people who do things and say things that are very similar or even worse to a lot of the things that uh Ben Gvier and Smotrich are, are accused of saying. So for me, I see that as being a bigger moral problem, right? So are there moral problems on this side? Yes, um, I, I agree that there are certainly things to talk about, Um, some of the issues that Daniel raised and more. But for me, I see the other side as being a bigger moral problem. And uh, that sort of is erased from the conversation. That's not considered a consideration anymore. And for me, I think it should be part of the conversation. Well, then let me
0: ask you a question just about that before I know Daniel wants to ask something as well. I, I agree with you that it's not fair for one side to decide what is ethical and moral and right. the other side is simply standing there and say, and taking shots. I agree right. that's not fair. But unless I misunderstood, I think Batal Smotris himself said that, speaking of cancel culture, at one point, admittedly, things get heated in the consent, K- right. but at one point, I think he said that people who support the government who are religious should not be allowed in the shuls. Right, so and I, that's an example of cancel culture. I right, mean, so I, I don't stand by that. Okay. Dan, did you want to add something?
2: Yeah. Um, I think it's ironic that um, uh, Matan Kahana Okay, who I think we can all agree is a, a a faithful son of the religious Zionist community who did things in good faith, which he felt were the right things to do for uh, Israeli society and indeed for Judaism itself by unraveling some of the monopolies of the rabbinate was called Antiochus, was called Reform, was called, you know, multiple names which are not actually worthy to be repeated here by people from across the uh, uh, religious uh, uh, debate and dialogue, of course people who are represented absolutely and the rabbis that lead the Religious Zionist Party, and um, the idea that somehow a a small group of uh, liberal religious Zionists have decided what is moral for everybody else is, is frankly ridiculous, um, moreover, I, I absolutely agree that I am not here to decide what your morals are, but it's absolutely my uh, uh, responsibility to point out what I think I have a moral problem with. You can make your decisions about which is worse and which is better, but I don't think uh, that should stop me from saying, calling out Gvir as a, uh, uh, continues to be a student and a pupil, and in fact, the Talmud Muvhak of uh, Me'er Kahana, who repeatedly goes to the uh, events at his uh, yacht site and, and celebrates him and says he was right and so forth. And, you know, again, we can get into the debate. And I think it's a very important debate. One of the things which has happened over the last year and a half is, well, he's moderated. He's no longer the same guy that he was. I frankly don't buy it. I can possibly even prove it. But it doesn't matter. The point is, I can make my moral choices and I can point them out. That's how we have debate. I don't think anybody stood aside and said it wasn't complicated and difficult what Naftali Bennett did, and I think it's perfectly fine. And he got, by the way, exactly what the voters decided he was going to get, and he's out of politics. So I think that's, that's how the game works. So what was really ridiculous? I didn't understand that. The, the idea that I get to, to decide what right. is moral for everybody else, when at the same time, I am the one being excluded from the debate.
0: I want to ask a little bit about Ben Gavir, yes. just in terms of that. I guess this gets to something, David, more at the heart of what you're talking about. You're saying that, yes, for example, certain statements that leaders of the party have said, you don't accept them and you reject right. them and you don't agree with them. Part of the question, which I have, and I don't know if Daniel has this as well, but one of the things that bothers me is that even if that's the case, how do we know what are incidental and what are central? In other words, let's go back to the things that Ben Gavir said, which are very objectionable in my mind. We're talking about somebody who is... As Daniel mentioned, for example, proposing transfer for Arabs who don't pledge loyalty to the state. I don't know if he would actually do that, but he certainly says he would do that or has said he would do that. Or, for example, the fact that Batalla Smotrich suggested that maternity wards should be segregated between Jews and Arabs. Now, you might say, okay, well, I don't think that's correct. I disagree with that. How am I to know if that is a central piece of his platform or just some statement he made and that's not really how he feels? That's not the centerpiece of what he believes. The centerpiece of what he believes is much more in line with classic religious Zionist thought. Maybe that's not true. Maybe what he is saying is really the center of his platform.
1: Right. So I think uh, that it's the latter. Um, first of all, I would say that... latter
0: meaning not the center of his platform. Right. Uh,
1: first of all, just to go back for a second, um, Daniel said he could prove it, but um, you know, uh, Ben Greer has said that he no longer considers himself a, a follower of, of Americana. Um, and he also you know, said a lot of... Uh, he, he has said that a lot of the things that he said in the past, he said when he was a kid, right? So I, I'm not naive, uh, you know, but um i do try to take a person at at his word and if someone you know wants to change and wants to do chuva so to speak then i believe in in that but i think that in terms of the answer to your question you know we just went through a whole uh, election cycle right uh, except from the media uh, we didn't really, and when they were asked specifically, we didn't really hear in their stump speeches or, or in, in the party platform any discussion about any of these issues. Um, I've spent some time with Pizza over the last few months uh, during the election because I did run in the primaries and I was officially a candidate. Um, I never heard him mention any of these issues once, right? And I would say that uh, there actually is a website that you could look at uh, which lists all of the uh, laws that the Havre can Knesset have, uh, proposed over the previous Knesset. Okay. So uh, admittedly they were in the opposition, so they didn't really get a chance to, uh, pass any, any laws of their own, uh, of their own, you know, uh, Yozma. But, um, if you look at the ones that they did try to propose, you know, Except for, and I will admit, uh, Ben Gvir did try to pass a death penalty for terrorists, which I think is uh, legitimate, uh, uh, something to debate about. None of the other laws of both Smotrich and Ben Gvir, had anything to do with any of these issues. So I believe that um, that as we go forward, we'll see the like you said the classic issues be be what the focus is and um you know i think that uh power tends to moderate i think we've seen that in in the past with many presidents of the united states many prime ministers of uh of uh, of israel and i already hear right i think right after the election both ben-gvir and uh and smotrich went on on all the news shows they weren't saying oh yeah we won we're going to get you we're going to do what we want they said you know everyone should feel calm we're here for everybody and we want to vote even those who who didn't vote us even for those who hate us so I think we could hope that uh, the what will be the centerpiece are the things that we all you
2: know care about Obviously, I I, I would love to share uh, David's optimism that this new government will will only do things which actually sit comfortably within the uh, Declaration of Independence of Israel and will not affect in a negative way the uh, uh, rights of all citizens of this country that they are entitled to without having to make statements about loyalty and other things. I'd like to make a comment which may seem like small-minded, but um, there was a a very interesting moment during the campaign when... uh, Ben Gvir was in Machane Yehuda in the uh, in the famous Jerusalem market, and obviously he was with his followers, and and they're chanting uh, "death to Arabs." Okay, which over the years has been a kind of a sight we've seen and, uh, and heard in many demonstrations and after many terror attacks, etc. Um, and it's a call which is a clarion call of the extreme uh, uh, and perhaps even neo fascist right in this country, and the the young boys that were with Ita Ben-Gvir were starting to uh, make this call. And he turned around and says, no, it's not Mavet Aravim, it's la Machablim. It's not mm-hmm. death to Arabs, it's uh, death to terrorists. And I think on the one hand, what that represents is a very pragmatic uh, approach that says, obviously, we're not going to say death to Arabs because that's going to get me kicked out of the Knesset and potentially turn Israel into a pariah state. and Nobody wants that. But on the other hand, uh, when uh, Ben-Gvir and other supporters of his call Arab parliamentarians and politicians, uh, who may have very difficult and horrible opinions, many of whom I would like to see voted out of, of, of the Knesset in a democratic fashion. By the way, some of them, thank God, have been voted out in this election, but he calls them mechablim, he calls them terrorists. The uh, CEO of Utsma Yehudit, Ben his party, after the election said he wants to see all of the Arab politicians banned from the Knesset and deported to Syria. This is not democracy.
1: Several of the um, of the Arab Knesset members uh, have uh, explicitly supported uh, terrorism in the past.
2: And and we have legal so we, we, and we, we have legal we have legal structure in place right. for those who shouldn't be not to be in the Knesset. But I think your uh, idea that somehow uh, Ben Gvir is moderated. Um, and the night of the election, it is Bensi Gopstein and his wife, who are the people who lead Lahava, Le who lead pogroms against Arabs in Jerusalem, okay? In addition to the beautiful work that he does saving uh, young Jewish girls, which is what people always say, he also leads a, a semi militia going around searching for Arabs to fight them. I've been in the center of Jerusalem on Thursday nights when it happens. My kids have come home from Jerusalem on Thursday night when it happens, okay? He was there celebrating alongside uh, Ben Gvir. Vasislav, who uh, himself has made these and other claims about what should be done to Arab politicians this is not the Israel which I think we can be proud of it's not the religious Zionism that I think we all grew up on
0: I think he brought Gopjin onto the stage it wasn't just the celebrator meaning Ben Gvir brought him into the celebration
2: absolutely Correct? By, by, by the way it should be said that Baruch Marzel has said that Ben Gvir has moderated and is not uh, enough because actually what uh, Marzel said in that claim which again was last week not three years ago what we should be doing is everybody who voted for ballot they themselves should be deported apropos uh, people voting for uh, different reasons
0: Daniel and I are on the same page over right. here. I guess part of my question would then be, what is your feeling? And if you don't want to answer, I understand. What right. is your feeling about the fact that Vizal Motrich, at the behest and pressure of Netanyahu, right. brought Ben Gvir and Noam into his party? So right. even if you might say, Vizal Motrich is not Ben Gvir, right. which is something with which I agree. Right. At the same time, I guess this gets back to cancel culture again. Right. There are certain things, which I think we all agree are beyond the pale, even though we're not into cancel culture, but we all have our lines.
1: <laughs> Actually, I don't think this has anything to do with cancel culture. And I also don't think it has anything to do with the moral issues that that you're raising. I think it, it's purely strategy, meaning I think that... Um, for you know, for whatever reason, uh, th- not for whatever reason, they see themselves as, uh, like you said, a technical block, and they didn't want votes uh, to uh, be wasted on the right sides, on, on the right, on the. I mean, so they decided to sort of, you know, put all these other things aside and to uh, and to sit together in order to in order to accomplish a strategic goal having nothing that i don't again just like sitting on a panel doesn't necessarily legitimize somebody um joining together in order to uh, to accomplish a strategic goal doesn't necessarily mean that you agree with everything that everyone in that block
2: thinks is there any downside at all to having Bengvir Tied into this uh, political and 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 become the star of Israeli politics. Is there any downside at all? Do you oh, see that? Oh, we're about at to all? ask each other questions. Uh, <laughs> um, yes, I do.
1: I I I also believe that some of his uh, his um, his views are problematic, and I think that I've been saying that. We've lo- we we've long passed the day where our politicians were our role models for our children, if ever. But I think that people still think that they should be, just like everybody else. I I do think that he has some views which I think are 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 not necessarily in keeping with mine. But at the end of the day, I also believe in a stri- strategy. I think that politics, as I think uh, Bismarck said, is the art of the possible. Right? And it's very nice to sit around and idealize and and, and try and live in a perfect world. Uh, I think that we have to live in a real politic, uh, realistic world and try and accomplish as many of our goals uh, as we can, even though we realize that some of them are not going to be accomplished and there may be some – you know, uh, some some of the things that we don't like, even though we're trying to accomplish most of the things that we do like. I understand that. I would push back a little bit to your comparison about sitting on a panel with people with who right. disagree
0: versus joining together in a party because no, in one situation you're effectively helping them get right. into government and giving them some power as to the other one you're not legitimizing you're talking to them here you're literally at least in theory helping them get more seats in government that otherwise would have been lost so I don't think it's really the same thing at all okay
1: I, I would just go back to something that Daniel was saying about Mayor Kahana first of all obviously it's a complicated issue and you know obviously at the beginning um, uh, he certainly you know seemed to be a follower of, uh, of Mayor Kahana Ben-Gvir, yeah but i mean we do have a supreme court in this country and the left i'm not talking about necessarily the left of the da Datit. i'm talking about the left in the country you know loves to to prop up and support the supreme court um i mean obviously every country needs to have a democracy needs to have a supreme court i also believe in that although the supreme court is a major issue here as well but the supreme court uh ruled that certain people could run and certain people couldn't run right and if we if we accept the supreme court they're not stupid people they're not gonna just be able to you know ben is going to be able to say this instead of that and therefore they're that they're going to trick he's going to trick them i think that um I think that there has to be some recognition that there is a little bit more nuance than than you're making it out to be.
2: I would agree with that. Um, I would also agree, uh, like you, that the Supreme Court allowed everybody who uh, ran in this uh, uh, Knesset to run, which includes Ballard, who we both agree would be better off the country would be better off without them in the Knesset, but they absolutely had the democratic right to run, and indeed, everybody who voted for them had the democratic right to do so, and and or not to be called upon to have a loyalty test. I let want to just make I want to our listeners that Balad is effectively a Hezbollah supporting Arab party in Israel. if, if That's a fair let, way of putting let's, it. Let's <laughs> let's say I think that we could do another podcast on that, but but I think <laughs> we could all part agree part. we could all agree that we'd be better <laughs> off without them. Um, but I, I, I want to say uh, um, uh, two things. One is. One of Ben Gvir's own members of Knesset on the list, who will now be a member of Knesset, himself said that this whole moderation, he called it a tahboula. It's, it's just a ruse. It's just a trick. We're just a Trojan horse. He said that himself. Nobody else, not me, not David Fine, mm-hmm. not Scott Kahn, they themselves <laughs> said so. And I think the, the thing to think about um, the transition that uh, uh, people have claimed that... Uh, Ben has made is less ideological and it is more strategic and pragmatic. I don't think actually he's changed principally um, any of his views, and I want to be clear. Even now he says that his rebbe is Meir Kahana, but some of the things that uh, uh, Meir. Uh, Tried to do politically, he no longer uh, will do. And in fact, he quite generously says, um, I don't want to get rid of, uh, I don't want to deport all of the Arabs, okay, which is, you know, obviously extremely comforting for the rest of the Arabs. Uh, but I think that the, the move is pragmatic and is not necessarily strategic or ideological. And, and the other thing that I just wanted to come back to about the real politic, and again, maybe it's important to, to, to give the background on this for, for the listeners. Rabbi Druckmann, okay, Chaim Druckmann. Um, who has undoubtedly been one of the main power brokers behind the, the, the amalgamation of these three parties together behind uh, Smotrich. He also happens to be one of the most important mainstream rabbis of religious Zionism. He also happens to be the chairman of the most important uh, uh, network of religious Zionist high schools, Yeshivot and Ulpana in this country. And when, he's, when first of all, he is the power broker who makes this happen, who, by the way, he tried to uh, persuade Batsala Smotrich to... Uh, agree to Netanyahu going with uh, Mansour Abbas and, and the Islamic party. So he doesn't have a problem in principle with uh, uh, Arab parties. In fact, he had a disagreement with Smotrich on this. But when he signs up on official notepaper of Oretzion and Yeshivot Ben Akiva that we should be supporting Petzal smotrich and Ben-Gvir and Avi Maoz, it goes way beyond the real politic. It means when I have my kids on a, at the table on Friday night, I now have to explain to them which I never did before, why we don't believe in Merkahana, okay? These questions are now being asked in every household in the religious Zionist world, and not everybody has the background or the backbone to say, no, we are not going to be that. That's the educational problem beyond the politics.
1: The real politic is trying to accomplish a certain strategy. If if, if things are done uh, wrong in that regard, uh, I mean, it happened to me as well. I, I didn't necessarily uh, think anything bad of it in terms of the result, but I did agree with you in terms of the, the way it was done uh my son's vote uh were sent out uh the days before the election to go and 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 uh campaign for the party so i said to my son i'm running with the party i'm obviously voting for it but i think that that's wrong what let's say there's a child a, a kid who doesn't agree is he going to be willing to stand up for himself and even if that's not the issue, we shouldn't be using state funds in order to campaign for.
2: Again, we agree.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. So before we move further, David,
1: there's a question which
0: I should have asked you at the beginning, but I didn't. So I'll ask it now. Can you explain your motivation
1: specifically for joining the Religious Zionists Party and why you chose that path per se? I think. There's been a lot of, you know, negative campaigning here, and what's interesting to me is that with all the negativity and the media crying, you know, about crying out loud about all these things has probably only helped, you know, the the other side. So I saw for myself personally that instead of being, you know, uh, complacent and just uh, being negative, that I could have a positive uh, influence, right, and that I could go into this party and... Uh, bring my own values to this party and at great danger to both myself personally and to the organization i run and um and say look whatever whatever it is, this is a situation, and i want to and these people are obviously going to be in power in some way, shape or form, and I want to be at the table, and I want to be able to influence what happens as we go into the future let 's move on to another topic. I want to ask Daniel a question, then turn it over to david it 's
0: sort of the same thing, two sides of the same coin. At the very beginning of our conversation, you talked about how Sinut Hadatit, as you see it, represents, at least in its perhaps extreme forms, I don't know, or maybe I should say Har Hamor, Merkas represents the right word 15% of religious Zionism. And you mentioned also a left word 15%. Could you say what the middle 70% believe, in your opinion, that's different from what Batall from what, uh, Smotrich and his party stand for? And then I'll turn it over to David to ask positive reasons for voting, or not even voting, for
2: standing with that sort of ideology. So I think it's very difficult to say exactly what the seventy percent in the middle believe in. Um, there's one thing that we can say fairly conclusively, and this is backed up by by tons and tons of research, that pretty much across the board, over ninety percent of all religious Zionists are right wing. Okay, this is the main common denominator. Right wing politically. Right wing politically, absolutely. Um, and and. Of course, right wing itself has uh, uh, various formats. I'm not sure everybody that's right wing would necessarily, for example, sign up to uh, Smotrich's plan for the for Yudava for Judea and Samaria, that what's called the Tochnet uh, Um But but basically everybody is right wing. Okay, uh, again, there's maybe five seven percent who would vote for um, the Labor Party or maybe even for Meretz. But beyond that, the rest is right wing. I think that's the that that is and and it connects very much to the kind of Maslow of, of political desire that at the, at the baseline, that's the first thing that we all uh, uh, vote upon. Okay, and we'll come back to that maybe in a moment. Beyond that, I think within the 70%, if we look at families and in, in, in the community that David lives in and the community that I live in, if we go across the country, we will see in, in, inside those 70% families where uh, some daughters, many now may go to the army, Some will go to the uh, national service and not go to the army. Um, Some of the boys will go to Yeshivot or Yeshivot Hester or Yeshivot Gvo'at. Some will go to Mechina. Some won't go to any at all. And all this will be happening within the same Uh, family. Within that family, probably most of the kids will be directed to get a a proper and serious secular education. There'll be an expectation that they will go to uh, university afterwards and become uh, professionals. Very few of them will become full-time learners um, uh, as opposed to in in parts of the community. And in terms of their sort of general social behavior, we'll see them in restaurants and cinemas and theaters and music shows and so forth. And and so I think at a social level, most of their behavior will actually be reflective of a fairly mainstream, modern, uh, actually quite liberal approach to uh, women's rights and equality and so forth. And indeed on questions like uh, state and religious and the monopoly of the rabbanut, and this is research that I have personally done, what we'll see is a range of views for, again, on the more conservative side, they'll say, we need to reinforce the monopoly of the rabbinate. And on the more uh, uh, center and, and liberal side and, and traditional side, they'll say, we should give people free choice. We believe in Jewish values and Jewish identity, but we don't want to enforce that on uh, other people. So that that would be my reflection of what the 70% looks like.
0: Okay, and let me ask you just as a follow-up on that particular question, how is that different from the 15%? Meaning, what are the 15% and in what sense are they different?
2: So you'll tend to find within the, first of all, the 15% will be much more aware and active about... That agenda? Okay, so they'll be much more uh, uh, specific about what Jewish feminism and Jewish uh, religious leadership ought to look like. They will be active in actually pushing for more of of those ideas. They will look at, uh, uh, let's say, girls going into the army as a lechatchila, as kind of the first uh, option for what they should be uh, uh, promoting. You're talking about the left wing, fifteen. I'm talking about the left okay. wing, fifteen percent. Um, and and we could go through all, You know, they're, they're obviously much more aggressive when it comes to state and religion and where the rabbinate should be and the women's role within the rabbinate and you know and all those sorts of. Um, issues. So you'll find that they tend to be much more uh, aware of that uh, agenda. Whereas uh, in the 70%, it, it is kind of a more uh, uh, internalized way of uh, behaving. In fact, if, if you'll allow just one more minute, I think that the, um, and honestly, I say this without, uh, without, uh, without a gram of, of judgmentalism, when um, Rabbi Levenstein, okay, one of the central rabbis in uh, Eli, and obviously an important voice of the what's called the CAV, the the, uh, Haramore view of the world. The right wing 15%. The right wing 15%, okay, and and very much the ideological heart of that right wing. When he made his, what has now become a a famous, or for some people, infamous infamous speech about they're driving our girls mad by uh, taking them to the army, I think this was a reactionary uh, response it was a reflection on actually where the bulk of the community is actually heading in terms of their modern and liberal Jewish values. And in a sense was an attempt and is a continuing attempt to try and actually bring uh, uh, that community back to a a vision that he sees, which we can debate and and, and talk about those issues, but basically a kind of post-liberal or an uh, anti-progressive position. And again, I'm not neither a progressive or a liberal or a conservative I try and see things on the issue. Um, but uh, and, and so there are certain things I may even agree with Rabbi Lewinstein about, but I think that the the backlash that we see is actually a concern, and maybe a genuine concern from that perspective, that the community has actually moved in its generality, and that's that 70% plus the uh, uh, liberal side of the argument, is actually, in a certain way, in the day-to-day, is winning the, is winning the debate. Okay, well, that actually is a perfect segue
0: into asking David about why that 85%, or large portions of it, obviously, Assuming that you agree with Daniel's numbers, which I don't know, but if it's true that the right word 15% is representative of the Motrich's base, maybe we could call it. And yet, at the same time, there are not a half million people in that 15%, Israel would be much bigger if that were true. Then, what is everybody who did vote, and I'll put you among them, who voted for religious Zionism as a party? What positive things do they see that made them vote in that direction if? They're not part of that that Kav, as we say it's the Harhamor right. faction of religious Zionism.
1: So I'll answer the question in a second. I just want to comment on on what happened what happened here, and that is um you asked Daniel a question about um why people should um vote for or it seemed to me, what what those people necessarily represent. And what I've seen is Um, that there have been a lot of scare tactics, and maybe uh, maybe properly so, you know, on the other side. But I have yet to seen uh, the more centrist, liberal, whatever you want to call it, uh, part of the uh, religious Zionist world um, really, come up with a, a a plan, a model of how they want the state, uh, how they want religious Zionism and the state to run, right? Uh, you know, Smotrich and Ben Gvir did. You may not agree with it, um, but they they came up with a plan and and they've and they've won support far out of their out of their group, as you're, you you've discussed. So, what I'd like to see is instead of you know uh, all the scare tactics, um, I'd like to see a plan. Uh, and I also try to vote uh, or try to, you know go by the issue. So maybe you'll convince me, but I haven't seen that happen. Um, in terms of the answer to your question, there are a lot of issues that uh, we haven't spoken about at all, right? Uh, we haven't spoken about security at all. Um, security is a major issue. Uh, I think there was a headline right before the elections in Yidiyad Akronot that it's been the worst that it's been since 2015, right? We all know what happened in Ludd and in Akko and in, in some of these other cities, right? Um, I, we You know that I work with rabbis, so I have uh, six rabbis that work work in Ludd After the Praot there, I went uh, to visit, and one of the rabbis was telling me he didn't have any. He was, he's like the leader of the community there in uh, Ramanesh I think it's called, the main uh, neighborhood where this happened. He told me he didn't have anyone to speak to, the police wouldn't respond. The army wouldn't respond, the politicians wouldn't respond. So, um, and Ben Gvir, he hasn't been talking about, uh, you know, about LGBT and about Mayor Khana. He's been talking about security and about giving the agav, he's called it, uh, to the soldiers and to the policemen. And it's interesting that somebody who's Interested in all these, um, you know, philosophical, religious, social issues is asking for the for the internal uh, security. So I think that security is a very important uh, issue. Um, I think that Can the, I, I think just, that.
2: The, just yeah. you go to the next one. Right. I hundred percent agree with you that the security I think outweighs almost every other uh, social issue when it comes to the ballot box. I, I don't disagree with that at all. Um, it is worth uh, pointing out for our uh, listeners that. Uh, when he was calling the police, the police minister was Likud. When he was calling out uh, for the army, the uh, uh, prime minister was Netanyahu. During the Pra'ot, it was still the Netanyahu government before the founding of this government. So let, let's just be 100% clear that the, the uh, um, vote for Ben Gvir which 100% comes from his ability to be at every uh, site of a terror attack or the site of the pogrom or whatever it is and wave his uh, pistol when necessary in order to do that, undoubtedly plays into uh, security concerns, which frankly have not been dealt with by governments of the left or governments of the right. It's a classic moment that I think he has absolutely cashed in on and does not necessarily speak to the uh, social issues which are, absolutely there. They were there before Gohengvir, and they're going to be here long afterwards. I just want to make sure, in case listeners don't know what we're talking about, these are the riots that took place
0: right around the time of the Gaza War that took place in 2021, right around Yom Yerushalayim. These are riots that took place among the Arab community. When Netanyahu was still
2: prime minister. Right.
0: I just want to make sure we understand the historical context of what we're talking about. Anyway, David, please continue.
2: No,
1: so it it doesn't really matter who the prime minister was. Uh, The fact is, is that there's a problem, and it hasn't been solved up till now, and it needs to be solved. Another issue that hasn't been spoken about is the economy economy um you know uh, we live in a country where the many many people are below the poverty line uh many many people can't afford to uh, buy a house we live in, in in a in a country which needs to be doing better for its uh, people economically um and one of the things that i personally tried to do in terms of helping to run the anglo campaign um was to show that the tionutadati party is not a several issue party. It's not only about Yehudavish Omron and it's not only about this or that or the other thing, that there is a plan to really be able to administer the entire country. So if you look on our website, there's a, an economic plan, right? There's a, there's a plan on the environment, right? there's a plan on the judicial system. I, I think that many of these uh, important, very important topics are sometimes lost to these bigger issues that that and they're not spoken about and they need to be spoken about but in terms of the specific answer to your question I think that there are a lot of positive Jewish values that uh, that this government brings right there's huge uh, Jewish pride right there's support for uh, learning Torah um, there's uh support for youdavashomron uh the big biblical you know land of Israel I could go on and on so uh, maybe we uh, focus on on the you know on these other values which are Jewish and human values, but I think there are plenty of, uh, of of important values that this government government brings to the table. I just want to make one little editorial point about uh, before, and that is is that we're, we've been talking about um, Merkaz Harav and Har Hamor almost as being identical. I mean, anyone who lives in this world knows that there is a humongous uh, difference between those two, and um, and and Smotrich comes from the far more moderate. Uh, uh, world of, of Merkaz
0: Harav. I think we would say Merkaz Harav and Har Hamor are very different if you're coming from within the religious Zionist community. If you're outside, it's hard to tell the difference at times, perhaps because of a lack of knowledge. Right, but, but we're talking about right, inside the religious Zionist community. Right. Okay, so let's move on to some other points. We don't have that much time left. The future of religious Zionism, and you just said, David, something with which I agree strongly that we have to set up a platform, and perhaps we haven't done a good enough job, people who are outside that Merkaz Harav, Har Hamor spectrum that smaller spectrum within the larger religious Zionist spectrum to try and talk about what are our values. Obviously, the economy right. and security, these are things with which we can all agree. But in terms of Jewish values that might be somewhat different from those values that are represented by religious Zionism as the party is named. I don't mean necessarily all of the values, but some of the things that we find more objectionable, at least I do, Maybe it's time to set up some sort of platform, some sort of, I don't want to say a party, because I actually personally don't believe in religious political parties. I don't vote for religious political parties on principle. No offense. It's a, it's a, it's a different <laughs> issue for me. But I think that maybe it's time to set up some sort of larger rubric to explain what that 70%, use Daniel's term in the middle, really believe. Do you think that's important that we set up such a platform, Daniel, some sort of description? This is what we believe.
2: This is who we are. So, so, so first of all, I, I, I felt a sort of a, a real pain in my heart. Um, in, when identifying with what David said about there the really is lack of a, of a real political alternative to Smotrich. Um And you're talking to a sort of uh, recovering Maymad uh, <laughs> supporter from all those years ago. And, and I think there is a fundamental uh, issue relating to politics and that liberal uh, wing of the religious Zionist um, uh, movement, which we can talk about. Uh, By the way, there is absolutely a set of organized principles and ideas. And if you go, for example, on the website of Nemenei Torah um, it's all set out there. It's all written down. Um, They write regular uh, uh, periodicals about this. It's all backed up with uh, sources and materials and so forth. So I I think there's plenty of material out there that speaks to um, an ideology which sits maybe Outside of the world of uh, Merkazarav and Haramore. but I, I want to say something about the politics for a second because I think I think it's a genuine um, it's a genuine complaint, and I think it's completely rightly uh, uh, you know placed at, at the door of people like myself. And I I'm totally mayor culpa that we have not succeeded um, um, in this arena. And there are two aspects which I think are important just to point out. I don't think we have time to really delve into them. First of all, we spoke about it before, which is the kind of the Maslow of politics, which is in the end. If people sense that their personal safety or the national security um and it doesn't matter what your political persuasion is you will vote for the person who think you think will do a better job with that right now that person is uh ben Kvir. he's about to get the opportunity to prove to us uh, whether uh, and the government as a whole whether actually they can make a change i personally have and have written about this repeatedly which is um, terrorism has been with us since before the state. The left has fought it, the right has fought it. We are not going to get rid of it until there's some major resolution to a lot of other issues, which we haven't spoken about today, which is, you know, uh, uh, Yudava Shamran and all process. these other things, Palestinians, right. Arabs, et cetera. Let's put that aside for a second. So I, I think fundamentally, I can campaign on uh, women's leadership within the religious community, but in the end, nobody's going to vote on it. I can campaign on reducing the power of the chief rabbis versus uh, city rabbis or community rabbis, but in the end, the research says people won't uh, uh, vote on it. I can make a, you know, and people will actually tend to agree with me that they would rather rely on Rabbi David Fine, a local community rabbi, when it comes to uh, issues of marriage and and divorce and conversion, rather than say Rabbi Lau or Rabbi Yosef, etc., etc., or whoever's going to come afterwards. But they won't uh, 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 vote for it. That's the first um, issue, which I think is 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 germane. And the second one is a little bit like what Scott just said, and and I'm kind of. Somewhat in his camp, which is well, on principle, I don't, I don't vote for religious parties. So let's say Matan Kahana and all the people from Deminator, Rav and Rav Stav, or whoever else, Raffi Feigstein says we're going to now have the sensible, or the liberal, or the moderate, or the super liberal, or the super progressive, whatever you want to call it, religious Zionist party. The problem is, Feinschmeckerim, like Scott and myself, will think ten times whether to uh, whether we're actually going to want to vote for it, and 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 that's reflective of something which is I, I, I'm kind of making a joke about it, but. It's a reflective of something a little bit deeper. Let's take Khili Tropper for a second, if you don't mind, for one minute. Khili Tropper, we can all agree, is a great ambassador for the religious community, okay? He's an altruistic person, probably for another few days, is Ministers. the minister for culture. He is uh, a, a very close with Benny Gantz and has been uh, along his side um, r- right from the start. He was in education. He, uh, you know, is a social entrepreneur, blah, blah, blah. Gilui you know. I've known him since he was uh, uh, came out of the army, and his dad is a, is a personal hero of mine, Danny Tropper. but in any event, nobody Rabbi dis- Rabbi doctor Dan- right. <laughs> Danny Tropper. N- nobody would disagree that Hely isn't a fantastic ambassador and a, and a a role model for religious Zionism. but his choice to be in politics is not to be a representative of of religious Zionism, but to turn to and speak to Israeli society and to a certain degree, from his point of view, both altruistically and politically. The moment he tags himself as, oh, actually, I'm representing the religious Zionist community, he's actually, in his mind, uh, uh, sort of downgrading his altruistic uh, side, which is, I'm here because I care about all of the issues of Israeli society, and I believe that that should be done within general politics and not inside the uh, uh, sectoral politics. And I think that in a certain way reflects your comment about voting or not voting for a kind of sectoral uh, uh, party. And I, I think that that is a challenge which is at, at my door and at the people that believe in the things that I do, which is how do we actually break that paradox of saying lots of people believe in the things that I believe in and find objectionable, I think you know the three of us probably find objectionable, which is integrated uh, in some way or form into religious Zionist politics. How do we actually create something which can actually be uh, uh, you know opposite to that, be set, uh, uh, an alternative to that? And I think the political question there is complicated, but absolutely after the shellacking uh, I think that the community has taken in this election cycle, that is something that you know I have to take away and think about uh, it's, it's not something I have an easy uh, solution for nor nor do, nor do I think there is an easy solution for, but as uh, you know we're all part of it, we're all in this together <laughs> afterwards, I think we have to think about that quite uh, seriously. You say that all three of us would agree are objectionable and I'll,
1: I'll, I'll, I will agree with that, but I would also just say that there are objectionable things in 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 any community, in any in any government so that uh, no government is perfect. You say that there are the Torah Torah and a lot of materials, but I think at the end of the day, like Scott just said or has said several times, you know, 500,000 people have voted far out of the 15 or 16% that you've spoken about. So I would hope that the community... Uh, who does not support, you know, that fifteen or sixteen percent would try and figure out what it is that that these people are doing that we're not doing that we could adopt, uh, not the things that you consider objectionable, and and try and adopt them. Um, and I, I read uh, Rav Chaim Navon's uh, co- uh, column in Motash, uh last night. And um, he made a very interesting point. He said that politics is not actually where things are done. People think that politics is the the power, but really it's the thinkers behind uh, behind the thinkers of society, uh, the philosophers. That they're really the people that affect the the po- politicians that that make the decisions. So, if that's true, and Rav Chaim Navon is you know, right? A lot of the time, in my book, I think that puts uh, an onus on the 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 philosophers, the scholars, the the rabbis, you know, whoever the ac- academics in uh, in our society to come together and try and find more common ground, and in order to have uh, an effect on the politicians. I'll just the last thing I'll say is is that you asked uh, Daniel about forming uh, some kind of body. Personally. I could probably get in, tr- in some trouble for saying this but I'm going to say it anyway. Um I think that when uh Yamina Smotrich and uh, Bair Hayud, right Moshe, that was I forget how many elections ago. They were together at we some all forget how many right? elections ago. That, they were together <laughs> at some point, right? All of these people were together at some point and I consider it to be that that was really the breaking point. Uh we could have and we should have figured out a way for everyone to stay together. Uh, At the end of the day, Daniel and you and I probably agree about many, many more things about than we disagree. I'd say far, far more. And um, we have to be able as a community to figure out a way, it's harder in Israel than it is in America, having been in America and having had some of these discussions in America, to be able to have these conversations in a respectful way Able to disagree vociferously, but to be able to somehow figure out
2: how we could all do this together. Very quickly. First of all, I think that the uh, decision that that uh, Bennett and Shaked made to split off, whatever the motivation of that was, undoubtedly has uh, been part of the reason that we're in the position position that we are uh, into. Um, and I, I think that that's probably a train that already left uh, the station. Again, I'm not naive. No, no, I'm oh, saying oh, that was a, the a, breaking a, point. Right. Undoubtedly. Right. Um, and I, I think in, in many ways um, that opened the door for the, uh, the move that uh, Batsallel made, which I said at the beginning was a, it was a brilliant uh, move. But I think at a, at a deeper level, and again, this is something which I'd be delighted to, to continue in conversation about. Um, I think there is something romantic in the idea that from, let's say, Ravlior Dovlior all the way to uh, Yudh Gilead, can live in the same political environment. I, I, I think part of that breakaway, although, although it was specific political issues that made it happen, I think it was reflective of something which, again, is a, is a longer trend, which is a kind of breaking into different parts, the religious Zionist community, which may not necessarily be per se something we should cry about. And I don't think the sentimentalism of of going back to let's all be in the mufdal necessarily works, although I would wholeheartedly agree that the, Whether it's in the single political framework or not, the ability to actually go back to the first principles and debate what the vision is that we have, both for our own community, but more importantly, what we have as a vision for the rest of the state of Israel, that we are obviously an active part of that. That is something that we have to do, irrespective of who we voted for, what party we're in, and how we see the immediate political issues, because those are much bigger questions which we're all going to have to deal with uh, going forward.
0: And I would just say that myself, as someone who is in that broader religious Zionist community, it does make me a little bit nervous, as you said, Daniel, that 90% of religious Zionists are right-wing politically. And it's not that I'm not right-wing per se, but I'm not necessarily a territorial maximalist. And the tying together of religious Zionism with a particular political position, and this is not the 15%, this is the 90% that you said, that's something which concerns me only because, not because it's a wrong political position, but because... Tying together with any political position, I think, is not necessarily a religiously healthy situation for religious Zionism to be in. Uh,
2: yet another podcast. <laughs> okay,
0: um, I want to thank you both for your time and for the respectful dialogue that we were able to have today. I really learned a lot, and I hope our listeners did as well. Daniel Goldman, Rabbi David Fine, thank, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, David. Thank you, Scott. Thank it's you. been
2: wonderful. Thank you.
0: Subscribe to The Orthodox Conundrum on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please visit JewishCoffeehouse.com for other episodes of The Orthodox Conundrum, as well as many other great podcasts, including Intimate Judaism, The Maimonides Minute, Chochmat Nashim, The Francisca Show, and Let My People Eat. I'd appreciate it if you go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review The Orthodox Conundrum. It takes literally two minutes, it's just giving a certain number of stars and writing one or two sentences